It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Hello, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. It's a great pleasure to be with you in a very difficult news cycle. War in the Middle East. Israel and Hamas. We'll spend a fair amount of time talking about that today. The um, the news, as usual, is a wee bit sketchy, but the Israeli commandos have entered Gaza City. The bombing, Israeli Air Force bombing, has been quite substantial. It's very hard to figure out. Uh, Israel has warned the residents of Gaza to evacuate. They're trying to open up some lanes to Egypt. I don't know, honestly. I mean, looking at news reports, I don't know if that is the case. I don't know if Americans can get out of Gaza to move to Egypt. The Israeli defense forces have warned them. That's certainly a lot more than the thugs and cutthroats that Hamas gave warning to a week ago. But we'll see. We'll try to clarify that. General Jack Keane will be here at the half hour. We will have a good long conversation with him about this story. By the way, you can reach us, you know, listen to us, the TV show, I'll set up here, TV show, Fox Business, Monday through Friday, 4 to 5 p.m. every day. If you can't uh, get us at 4, you can DVR us, call your favorite nine-year-old, she'll show you how to set up a DVR. The show is replayed at 7 o'clock. We've been covering war all week. We will continue to cover it this coming week, as we must. Here you can live stream us on the Internet, on the radio show. You can live stream us on the Internet, LarryCudlowShow.com, LarryCudlowShow.com. Hear us all across the country, around the world, throughout the solar system and the Milky Way. So, of course, the barbaric Hamas, uh, Hamas attack... That's the big news. I just I have so many things to say about this, I probably won't get it all in, but uh, one thing I want to say is people have to have some confidence in the Israeli Defense Forces. You know, we've had over the past week a number of experts, special operations, uh, former Navy SEALs, people working with the Israeli Defense Forces, um, they're a lot better, a lot, a lot better than some of these anchors, hosts, and guests who go through these hand-wringing exercises. Oh, my gosh, what if, what if, what if? This is not their first rodeo. Now, this may be a larger rodeo, but they have been through this before. They know how to track down hostages They know how to use air power coordinated with ground power. They know how to go house to house, door to door, if they have to. They've done this before. I mean, actually, the reports are that um, one of the Hamas leaders who led the uh, attack of last Saturday has already been um, killed. And I will bet you that the IDF has identified plenty more of the Hamas leaders. 
So this is a moment where we have to give them our undying support. This is about freedom and democracy and the very existence of Israel, our great ally, the only democracy in the Middle East. And, of course, people should bear in mind, you kind of lose this, don't you? Hamas, which is backed by Iran, tooth and nail, Iran is the banker, the financier, Iran is the planner and the plotter, and uh, Hezbollah, they want to destroy Israel. They want to destroy the United States, for that matter, too. Let's, Let's not forget that. Let's not get hung up on the details. Leave the details to the IDF. They know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. I mean, I had some terrific guests on the uh, Fox Business Show, Kudlow, during the week who talked about this. People that have trained with Israel, who have trained the IDF forces, the special ops in the IDF. They know what they're doing in the air and on the ground. Don't forget that. This may take longer because they're going to wipe out. The mission here is to wipe out all of Hamas. And by the way, Hamas is different than the Palestinians. Hamas will hide behind the Palestinians, so-called human shields, because they're basically terrorist cowards. But let's not lose sight and lose faith of what the Israeli Defense Forces can do and have done in the past. I think that's a very important point. I'm very disappointed in some of these anchors that seem to be getting cold feet and hand-wringing. And I know Biden gave a speech supporting Israel, but then again he put in the words wherever appropriate. I, I don't trust him. He's partly to blame. He's more than partly to blame. They started plotting this The Hamas started plotting this attack roughly two years ago, which not coincidentally was right after the catastrophic fleeing of Afghanistan by United States uh, policymakers ordering the troops to leave, leading the Bagram Air Base. And by the way, tens of billions of dollars worth of uh, military equipment being used by Hamas, sold on the black market from the Bagram Air Base in Afghanistan. One mistake after another, playing footsie with Iran constantly. Let's not forget these massive mistakes. Joe Biden pledges whatever it takes to help Israel, we will see about that, okay? We will see about that. I have my doubts when the going gets tough after a couple of weeks. But, again, the reality is the Israeli Defense Forces will run this operation. They don't need Joe Biden. They need some arms and ammunition and replenishment of the Iron Dome from the Congress, I believe the Congress will give it to them. By the way, the Republicans are going to get a new speaker. It took them too long, I get that. 
But um, Jim Jordan, terrific conservative, longtime friend of mine, he's going to be the speaker. Insiders tell me he will get the votes. He got up to 155 votes in the second bout yesterday. He needs about 55 more. He'll get them. He'll get them. I'm sorry about what happened to Steve Scalise. He was an awfully good man and another good conservative, but it is what it is. I wasn't in the room, obviously, but the fact is I think Jim Jordan will get it. The Republicans are pro-Israel. The Republicans in the House are more steadfast supporters of Israel than the Biden administration. The Biden administration is too worried about playing footsie with Iran. Don't trust him as far as we could throw him. Anthony Blinken, terrible. Jake Sullivan, terrible. There's a whole scandal brewing. Iranian spy ring. Iranian cutouts in the State Department and the Defense Department. We'll get to that later on. Just an incredible Biden scandal. Bunch of Iranian cutouts running Iranian policy. We'll get to that too later in the show. And then there's this whole issue of Iran. Hamas couldn't have done this without Iran. That's what the Hamas leader said. Gave interviews to Russian TV and the Associated Press. Janet Yellen, Wednesday, I think, or Thursday, says, we haven't relaxed the economic sanctions. Boy, that's a big, fat lie. That is just a big, fat lie. You want to hear some numbers? Here, we have refinanced Iran. We, not we, the Biden administration. Let me be clear. All of a sudden, you wake up and look at these numbers. Iran was barely producing any oil at all three years ago when Donald Trump left. Maybe 400,000 barrels a day. They're up to three and a half to four million barrels a day. Selling to China. From about $6 billion worth of uh, oil export sales to China in 2020, they're... At the end of last year, they were $30 billion. That number's probably close to $45, $50 billion right now. How'd that happen? Relaxation of the sanction. That's how that happened. Foreign exchange reserves. Israel was, uh, Israel, Iran was broke. $4 billion worth of Forex. Now, all of a sudden, they're up to $70 billion worth of foreign exchange. Revenues from oil sales. Practically nothing three years ago. Now it's at least 50, 60 billion and maybe as much as 100 billion. Everybody's talking about the $6 billion of so called humanitarian aid released by South Korea to a bank in uh, Qatar. Yeah, well, they shouldn't get that money either, but the fact is that's small beer compared to the oil revenues. How'd they get the oil revenues? Well, the sanctions were relaxed. That's how they got them. Those sanctions, which were mandated in congressional legislation, both primary and secondary sanctions, Iran, Venezuela, North Korea, and Russia. What does that mean? Well, I'll tell you what it means. 
You stop shipping vessels, impound shipping vessels, deny airplane overflight rights, close Iranian banks with any access to the West, stop Iranian operations with European businesses, treat Iranian officials like pariahs, sink Iranian naval boats that threaten international shipping, cripple the economy, stop its oil flows, end its financing, then you'll help Israel by dealing a death blow to the Hamas supply line, which is Iran. The Hamas financing, which is Iran. Why have we stopped doing that? Trump did it. Trump had maximum sanctions. I had the former Treasury Secretary, my good friend Stephen Mnuchin, was on the show last night, talked about it. He was instrumental in that. He and I worked together on that with the National Security Council, etc., etc. It worked. It worked. We didn't hear from Iran, did we? Now they've been refinanced. Now they're back in business. The Wall Street Journal editorial page called Iran, get this, Hamas's ventriloquist. Oh, I love that line. That's a terrific line. How in the world did this happen? Well, because these Biden people think they can make a nuclear deal with Iran. And they got a bunch of Iran cutouts in the State and Defense Department negotiating for them. And, of course, because of their terrible left-wing, radical Green New Deal policies, they're desperate for oil production to keep gasoline prices down. So they don't mind another 4 million barrels a day from Iran, do they? One thing ties to another. One mistake after another. Most remarkable thing I've ever seen. And then, of course, you see this incredible wave of anti-Semitism spreading throughout the elite colleges and universities around the U.S. We had uh, Professor Alan Dershowitz on the TV show and others talking about this mess. These crazy young students do not understand how the world works. And it's interesting, too, they're defending, they want to defend Palestine. You know, Hamas is different than Palestine. Hamas is different than Palestine. We need to try to clarify that. Whether there's a two-state or a one-state solution with Palestine, Hamas is a bunch of terrorists. And I admit, I admit, they took everybody by surprise last weekend. Tragic. Absolute tragic. Thousands of people died. Children getting their heads cut off, grannies pulled out of bed and murdered, families killed, people going to peace concerts getting killed. Most barbaric thing anybody's ever seen. But I'll just say, as we piece this together this morning, talk some more about this, do not underestimate the strength of Israel, the resolve of Israel, the strength of the Israeli Defense Forces, the resolve of the Israeli Defense Forces, 
the skills, the professionalism, the experience. The ground game is just beginning. Commandos on the ground. You've had special ops on the ground helping to point out. You know, they're called pointers. So the precision air bombing can continue. The bombing is very intense right now. And then the full-scale invasion will begin at some point in the days ahead. Do not underestimate Israel. This is war. This is war. And war is hell. But the fact is, Israel didn't want this. Israel didn't bring this. But Israel will fight this for their survival. And by the way, for the survival of the heart and soul of the United States of America, too. And pretty soon, in the next year or so, we will replace these dummies running the government in Washington and clean out the swamp. I'm Cuddle. We'll be right back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Listen up, New York. You can now order your favorite New York lottery tickets right from your phone with jackpot.com. The Mega Millions and Powerball jackpots are getting bigger every day, and you can get in on the action right now and order official Powerball, Mega Millions, and New York lotto tickets right from your phone with jackpot.com. Just choose your favorite lottery game, pick your lucky numbers, and get notified when you win. I love the lottery, and jackpot.com makes it so easy because you can order all your lottery tickets easily from your phone. Jackpot.com notifies me right away if I win. Safe and secure, and I never have to worry about losing my lottery tickets again. This is the greatest thing ever. I can order tickets from my phone for Powerball, New York Lotto, and other lottery games while I'm sitting on my couch at home. Don't wait. Go to jackpot.com and order lottery tickets from your phone. Plus, right now, get a free lottery ticket with your first order. Go to jackpot.com. That's jackpot.com. Jackpot.com. Paid for by jackpot.com. You must be 18 or older to order a lottery ticket. Please play responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Residents of New York, call 1 877 8HOPE NY or text HOPE NY 467369. From Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Kudlow Show. Larry, I mean, we got to be upfront about what needs to be done here. We need to kill them. That's the only thing that stops these guys. They are absolutely committed to this barbarism. And we got to go in and kill them, just like we did with ISIS, just like we did with the Al-Qaeda. That is the great Jack Keane, General Jack Keane, retired four-star general. Chairman now of the Institute for the Study of War, Fox News Senior Strategic Analyst and Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient. I was in the Oval Office when he got that wonderful award. General Keene, welcome back to the show. That was the best mission statement I've heard all week long, and I wanted you to clarify it. And how do you assess now as we as we look at the uh, ground game that's about to begin with Israel, how do you see it, General Keene? Yes, well, it, it's certainly very challenging, uh, given the fact that we saw Hamas uh, likely preparing for months 
uh, an offensive operation uh, that likely succeeded beyond their expectations. And some of the Israelis will figure out why that, why that happened. But also, uh, Larry, they knew there would be retaliation, certainly. They'd seen that in the past. And if they enjoyed success, they knew the retaliation would likely be far greater than what they've seen in the past. So they've had months to prepare for that as well. Uh, so it, it's going to be formidable what is happening. The prime minister has given a different mission to his military for this incursion into Gaza. In the past, he's given them a, a mission that was militarily limited in the sense he he told them to go hard and fast, and that is get it done in a couple of weeks, uh, destroy as much of the tunnels that existed at the time, military infrastructure, kill as many leaders and fighters as you can, and then get out. And I think in the back of their minds were, would be the growing hostility from the international community as civilian deaths mounted during that op- operation. The intent of that operation was to set Hamas back X number of years, depending on how much of that they were able to destroy. The intent of this operation is to destroy Hamas. And when you look at that in in military terms, that means ruin the infrastructure and eliminate its organic existence. So what he wants certainly is no rise of Hamas that could ever re-attack them again, which is very different than previous missions. This means systematic approach to destruction of all infrastructure, which they've already started to do. Uh, it obviously means the penetration of the tunnel complex and destructions of them. And I'm hoping uh, if the Israelis want penetration bombs from the United States, that we're prepared to, to give them that if they need that capability. And, and the challenge of it is you see the conventional military mounting in terms of tanks, uh, armored vehicles, and the like. The pre-assault fires have already begun with artillery. But there's also the challenge, Larry, of separating the fighters from the population. Hmm. While a lot of the fighters will fight, a, a number of them will not. They'll, they'll attempt to blend into the population. And that is the challenge that you've seen America face in the 20 years of the 9-11 wars, where we had terrorists who, you know, in a sense, was the population. They blended into it, and we had a, uh, the challenge of separating them. So this is going to take months, likely, certainly many weeks at a minimum, as opposed to the operations in the past. And the casualties... Uh, likely will be more than the Israelis have ever experienced when they've been in Gaza before. And likely the civilian casualties, if they're not able to get the civilians out of there, uh, will likely also be larger than uh, what we've seen before. You know, I've seen on TV a lot of hand-wringing about all this. But I've also had some guests on the show, General, who have a lot of experience in special operations, some of them trained with the IDF, some of them trained the IDF, and others had military exercises with the IDF. And the expert experts seem to say that the IDF knows how to do this. And I don't want that thought to be lost if, in fact, you agree with it. No, I very much agree with it. And they've already had a lot of success 
uh, you know, they're not really talking too much about it, uh, but they've killed a lot of leaders. They've killed a lot of the people who participated in, in, in that invasion that went as far as 20 miles in. Why? Because they have videos of all of them. And they've gone after them. They've been able to identify who they are, and, and and they've killed a lot of them already. So yes, this is this is the IDF's intelligence apparatus. While certainly it's going to be criticized as a result of Hamas's recent success, I think is by and large, when it comes to the population, when it comes to their ability to do damage inside of Iran, is exquisite. And they have details in human intelligence. They have informants. Uh, they have excellent signals intelligence, somewhat comparable to ours, and not as extensive as ours because we have to deal with a global threat, and, and they have to deal with a local threat. But nonetheless, the technology and everything that they have to do this is excellent. And they're dead serious about trying to avoid civilian casualties, and people just sort of wave that off and say, ah, that's, that's just propaganda. No, that, it is absolutely true. Uh, one of the networks, uh, I, well, it was Fox Network, uh, let's give credit where credit is due, uh, had, a, had a soldier on who was in a unit whose job it was to provide early warning to uh, locations where bombing would take place so the civilians could get out of it. Hmm. And... And when they had a breakdown in that for some reason and they weren't able to effectively communicate, they didn't bomb it. Uh, so they're very serious about it. What's really shameful here, Larry, is the Egyptians. The Egyptians have closed the only real exit out of the Gaza Strip that the, that the people have. And they, a couple of reasons there. They're worried about Hamas infiltration. Uh, and I, I think there's an easy way to handle that. And they're worried about their economy is in the tank, and they don't want to accept the burden. When war was coming to the people of Ukraine, six million people got out in the first week. Mm. When war was coming to the people of Syria, seven million people got out. And the Turks set up refugee camps for them. Some of them are still in existence ten years later. Uh, the reality is that is what should be done on the other side of that border. That's the Sinai Desert. It's, it's an easy place to set it up. And U.N. assistance, international assistance, and the Egyptians can go in there and vet the people to make certain, with Israeli help, that there's no Hamas uh, uh, fighters you know, in that refugee camp. I mean, this can be done. And the Arabs, Larry should be putting their money into this. I know the Arabs are talking to the Egyptians, so they should fund it. Hmm. And let's get on with it and get these people out of the way of what's about to take place. And it's shameful that it's not being done. Don't we give Egypt $4 billion some odd a year? I thought LICC was an ally. Yeah, yeah, we do. They're, they're one of our most significant allies in terms of military and economic assistance and certainly it should be leveraged now they have had some success in the fact that americans and other foreign nationals can leave gaza that's that's a good first step but let's get it all done so that uh, the people can get out of there who want to get out of there. coming back to the hamas assault 
Does Israel have uh, bunker busters or something like that that can go into this uh, into these caves? I think they have some. It depends on the depth of them. I know when we were talking about dealing with the Iranian nuclear enterprise, they don't have the bunker busters that go down to the depth that those secret nuclear sites are. But I suspect they can deal uh, somewhat effectively uh, with what they have in, in, in Gaza. And if not, ask the Americans. I, I cannot Listen, I, I take the president and Secretary Austin at face value. If they say if the Israelis need something, we're going to give it to them. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and certainly I, I think that would be the case, and, and hopefully it's already done. How much uh, so far, it's kind of hard to get your arms around it, but I know the commandos went in. I know some ground troops went in. I know there's a lot of special ops on the ground to help with the precision bombing. But the bulk of the um, ground attack hasn't really started yet, has it? No, no, no. You, uh, when that starts, it'll be very obvious. Uh, probably multiple entry points, uh, and that's what the call-up of 360,000. By the way, that is the largest reservist call-up they've ever had. Mm. Think of that, mm. uh, given uh, the wars from 1948 to the present. Um and it takes time to assemble those troops, uh, mounting them up with their equipment, and then stage that equipment and move it, and also, uh, you know, go through planning preparations, maybe some rehearsals in terms of what they're doing, and, and that's what is taking time. And, and actually, uh, from a cold start like they're going to, to when they actually conduct this thing, it, it'll still be a very rapid preparation phase. And the Israelis are masters at that because their reservists are so well-trained. Um, you mentioned multiple entry points. Uh, we've, the reporting so far is sort of centered around northern Gaza, Gaza City, but there'll be other entry points along that route, further south, midway, no, I have no feel for – I just think that attacking on multiple axes is pretty standard, um, and I, I would imagine they would do that because they don't want to give uh, Hamas the ability to counter and mass against uh, one entry, uh, one line of advance. Um, and we see the Ukrainians uh, conducting their counteroffensive on multiple axes that's likely. I don't know where that would be, Larry. I don't have any knowledge of it. But most of most of Hamas's command and control, a lot of their valuable military infrastructure, is centered around Gaza City in the northern part of the mm. Gaza Strip. Right. And I think that is why the Israelis told uh, the people there to move south, because they're actually flagging that would be a concentration, certainly of um, uh, pre-assault fires and and uh, air power usage in that area, and and likely a s- serious commitment of ground forces as well. All right, Joan Jackin, please stay with us. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Have you come back and finish off the half hour? We're so honored to have you on the show, folks. We're talking to the great General Jack Keane, retired four-star general, chairman now of the Institute for the Study of War, Fox News senior strategic analyst. 
Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient, very dear friend and mentor to yours truly. We'll be right back with Jack Keane. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. We're here with the great General Jack Keane, retired four-star general chairman, Institute for the Study of War, Fox News Senior Strategic Analyst, Presidential Medal of Freedom recipient, General Keene. Um, I want to talk about another thing you said to us on the show, the TV show Thursday night. Iran must be held accountable. Yes, absolutely so. I mean, I, I find it disturbing that the administration has gone way out of their way to distance themselves from Iran's connection to this and actually try not even to use the word Iran uh, in describing this. And so our audience understands that the proxies that are operating in Yemen, in Iraq, a Iraqi militia proxy in Syria, uh, in Lebanon, and in, excuse me, and in Israel, they all work for Iran, and they all respond to guidance from the IRGC, uh, the Islamic Republic Guards Corps, and specifically the Quds Force that Qasim Soleimani headed up, and now Gayani, his successor, heads up, and he visits these organizations on a, on a regular basis, and they plan and coordinate. The administration admits, in the, in the words of Jake Sullivan, the National Security Advisor, he said, yes, Iran is broadly complicit in training, financing, and overall supporting Hamas. And it's been dark for many years, his words, not mine. And then he goes into but. The but is we don't have a specific correlation with this operation and Iran. So what that means, they haven't been able to eavesdrop on a conversation where Iran is directing something or providing guidance to them in reference to this operation. They obviously don't have a signed document or anything like that in issuing orders. But as opposed to a but, I, I would have approached it differently and said, and we can conclude hmm. that Iran is behind this because they're behind all of the proxies in the region to include Hamas, even though Hamas is Sunni-based and Iran is Shia-based. They've eliminated that distinction because Hamas is so focused on the destruction of Israel, which is Iran's strategic objective as well. So, yes, they have their hands all over this, Larry, and the administration doesn't want to put a finger on it. And I think the reason for that is obvious, because then what are we going to do about it, you know, is the, is the next question. And this administration, from the time they came in, right up to the present, has looked out to Iran to appease them, to give them uh, co- concession relief. The Trump administration had maximum sessions on Iran. They killed Qasem Soleimani uh, just prior to the Biden administration taking power. And Iran, from all of us who watch this like a hawk on a regular basis, was on its heels in a way that it had never been before, stunned by the assassination and killing 
of their number one leader who is prosecuting their foreign policy objectives and having some success with them in the region. And the, the sanctions were tanking Iran's ability to get money for oil. They eased back on those sanctions. They reached out on a nuclear deal. At the same time, they, they began to stiff the Arabs, particularly Saudi Arabia. And then when Bibi Netanyahu came into power, they stiffed him as well. None of that made any sense. And what that was doing was encouraging the Iranians to step forward. And now we have the war in Europe started by Putin. And I believe the Iranians are looking at this, and they see Saudi Arabia moving towards Israel in terms of normalizations. Principal reason, counter-Iran. Secondary reason, economic prosperity. But they see that. And if Saudi is able to normalize... And I do believe this will eventually happen. The Iranians know full well the other Arab and Muslim nations in the region will all fall in line because Saudi Arabia is the de facto leader of the Arab Muslim world in in the Middle East. And it is a strategic paradigm shift if and when that does happen. The Iranians saw it, and that's what this is about strategically from their perspective. And they have a good instrument in Hamas to kind of distract the world from that, inflame the Israelis as a result of barbarism committed against their people, and derail that normalization process, which has happened. They've they've accomplished that. But I believe Saudi Arabia is going to act in their national interest. They started down this road because Iran is a threat to their transformation that they want to make. They also know that the Israelis can help them technologically and economically, and this union makes sense. So, yes, the Iranians are all over this thing for the strategic gain that they need and their and the ability to avoid the isolation that would come as a result of normalization between Saudi and Israel. You know, I had former Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin on the show last night. He and I on the economic side, and Robert O'Brien, security, National Security Advisor, and Pompeo, the Secretary of State, we, uh, under Trump's direction, we established maximum sanctions on Iran. We had them near bankruptcy. We had them down to like a couple of hundred thousand barrels of oil a day. That's all it was, General Keene. Now, that has all been relaxed and changed and the coffers are now filling up again. The money coffers are filling up again for Iran. Seems to me this is a monumental mistake. Yeah, I mean, it's incredible, Larry. You know, we're all focused on this $6 billion, which is a yeah. formidable amount of money. You know, that is, they finally have admitted that they're going to freeze it and not let it get into Iran's hands, at least for the time being. Uh, but to your point that you just made, the Iranians have gone from a few hundred thousand of oil production now to three and a half million, yes. going to four million. Yes, that's yes. sixty billion, seventy billion dollars. Yes, they're flush with money. All right, the great General Jack Keane. Good luck, sir. Be safe, folks. I'm Cudlow. Going to take a quick break. Other side of the break, U.S. Senator Kevin Kramer is going to talk some more. 
about oil sanctions and maybe a bipartisan effort in Congress to restore these sanctions and clobber Iran. This is New York's talk leader, the crown jewel of talk radio, WABC New York and 1071 WLIR Hampton Bays. 77 WABC News starts now. 53 degrees, overcast skies, and some drizzle in midtown Manhattan on this Saturday, October 14th. Good morning. I'm James Flippin. Israel says it's preparing for what it's calling the next stage of operations in its war against Hamas. An Israeli military spokesperson said they've observed significant movement of Palestinian civilians from the northern part of the Gaza Strip to the southern region. This is something the IDF called for in flyers that were sent into Gaza starting about 24 hours ago, and it was all touched off a week ago today when terrorists on paragliders went into southern Israel and murdered civilians. In response, the Israeli Defense Force has been launching airstrikes ever since. 3,200 people are dead on both sides. Thousands more are wounded. 27 Americans are among the war dead. And the IDF reports that they're ready with soldiers stationed around the border of Gaza. Equipment is in place of a plan of a ground invasion. And we're hearing that two Hamas commanders were killed over the past 24 hours in airstrikes, including the leader of Hamas's airstrikes. Back here in the city, Mayor Adams attended synagogue last night on the Upper East Side. Israel has the right to protect himself, herself, itself, whatever way we want to define it. That right is built into the spirit and energy of the country and your homeland. And your military operation will accomplish that task. Protests unfolded last night in Times Square and elsewhere. Thousands of demonstrators in Times Square Friday afternoon as the war between Israel and Hamas heats up. This comes after a former Hamas leader called for a global day of jihad. Israeli and Palestinian supporters clashing. People constantly say there's two sides to the story, but for people that are being oppressed, you cannot stay silent for that. We're here for a reason. It's to free Palestine. Police had to separate the groups with barricades, police making some arrests. Some demonstrators moving on to the Israeli consulate, security extremely tight in the area. I'm Bob Brown for 77 WABC News. A 19-year-old student here in New York City stands accused of attacking an Israeli student on the campus of Columbia University. And Maxwell Friedman has been charged with a hate crime as a result. The 24-year-old victim, by the way, struck in the hand with a foreign object of some kind. He says he won't be returning to Columbia University's campus anytime soon because he doesn't feel safe. The man who was injured had been part of a group posting flyers concerning Israeli deaths at the hands of Hamas terrorist attacks. And by the way, protesters, they showed up outside of Senator Chuck Schumer's home in New York City last night demanding an end to aid for Israel. Dozens were arrested there. Schumer and his family were home at the time. He plans to fly for Israel this weekend. New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, he's on his way outside of the country, headed to Japan for a nine-day economic mission. Japan, the first stop for Murphy and First Lady Tammy Murphy. Then it's off to South Korea. Job creation in New Jersey, investment in New Jersey are the top two priorities. It's all part of the East Asia economic mission trip with Choose NJ. We'll do some, as I mentioned, some cultural visitations as part of this as well. We'll also uh, visit government officials at the highest level. Well, former President Trump was expected in New York City next week, and his former lawyer, Michael Cohen, had been set to testify. 
in the trial that alleges Trump inflated the value of his real estate holdings in order to secure better terms from insurers and lenders. Cohen, a witness for the prosecution, but apparently he's dealing with a health issue of some kind, and his testimony will have to be delayed. Former House Speaker Kevin McCarthy says he's supporting Ohio Congressman Jim Jordan as Jordan looks to secure 217 votes that would get him the Speaker's gavel. On Friday, Republicans voted for Jordan to be the party's next nominee for Speaker. In an interview after the vote, McCarthy said he supports Jordan, quote, fully, and that he's been a great ally through the years. The House has been without a Speaker for nearly 10 days following Kevin McCarthy's removal and is unable to pass any legislation until a leader is elected. I'm Jim Forbes. As global energy prices are on the rise, granting some investors worries, we do know that oil prices were on the rise yesterday, and the United Auto Workers strike, that rolls on. Union President Sean Fain telling reporters on Friday that he is prepared to call more members to join picket lines. Fain maintains that auto workers have the right to be angry, Given the broken economy has led to executives making exorbitant salaries, while the working class, their salaries have failed to keep up. In Alaska, the world-famous Fat Bear Week has crowned its champion, 128 Grazer, the name. And she lives in Katmai National Park in Alaska. That's an online competition, by the way, Fat Bear Week, set up like March Madness in terms of the bracket. And then New Jersey is wrapping up its black bear hunt today at sundown. There is another one planned for early December. It's controversial because wildlife, people who fight for wildlife and animal rights, they basically say that there should be non-lethal methods used. On the first day of the hunt this week, 105 bears were killed. In sports, the Devils fell to the Coyotes 4-3 in a shootout loss last night. Tonight, the Islanders host the Sabres. The Rangers travel to play Columbus. And in about an hour, Rutgers football will host Michigan State University. By the way, tomorrow, can the Jets finally beat the Philadelphia Eagles? It's never happened before in the regular season. Major League Baseball's playoffs are set to get back in action tomorrow. That'll be Rangers-Astros, while Philly's Diamondbacks begins on Monday. Here's your forecast from the Ramsey Mazda Weather Center. Today, rain developing, picking up this afternoon. Our high near 53. Overnight, more rain. One to two inches of rain possible for the tri-state. Larry Kudlow continues here. We've got 53 degrees and skies overcast in Midtown. I'm James Flippin. The news never stops at WABCRadio.com. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We continue our coverage of the war and related matters, bringing in our great friend, Senator Kevin Kramer from North Dakota. Thank you, Senator Kramer. Uh, I want to relate, uh, don't know if you saw it or not, but I had Senator Joni Ernst on the mm. TV show yesterday. She got back from... Uh, from the Middle East, met with MBS in Saudi Arabia and many mm-hmm. others. It was a bipartisan uh, yes. group. So my question to her and my question to you, the sanctions, business sanctions, banking sanctions, and especially the oil sanctions, have yes. been relaxed if not broken. The numbers have mounted up. I mean, there could be $100 billion worth of oil sales for all we yes. know. Yes. Anyway. Is it possible, Senator, can you get a bipartisan Senate group together to, I don't know, re-legislate or re-mandate maximum sanctions uh, on Iran, who are, of course, the paymasters and the plotters and the controllers 
of Hamas and the other groups. Can that is that realistic? It's absolutely realistic, Larry. And but but I think the moment is now. And when I say now, I mean like this week when we're, mm. when the, you know, the Senate's back in session um, Monday night. We have to do it while people's memories are fresh. As you know, we've become a very uh, short attention span society in America today. And uh, now is the time to strike on exactly that. It's interesting you bring up, of course, but not surprising, the fact that oil sanctions are a big part of the revenue stream, the relaxation. So you said relax or outright broken. Besides relaxing and breaking the the sanctions on, on the transfer of oil, you also have just basic cheating going on. So even if, if you're so-called enforcing these sanctions, between Iran and, and some of their allies, particularly China, you, you have sort of an underground system where, where they, they avoid the dollar, they avoid shipping lanes, they avoid um, flagships, they avoid states, you know, the big state-owned um, refineries. And so there are lots of areas uh, where we can look to enforce so to your point, yes, I think this is the week to have the discussion. My team's already putting together a sanctions package. There are other teams that have been as well in anticipation of, of getting back on Monday and uh, working through the various committees and finding co-sponsors. And, and But this is a very, I think in the Senate at least, a very bipartisan issue that has a lot of momentum and we ought to strike. Because, Larry, one of the things, again, we use the term, you use the term, relax. Presidents have a lot of authority to relax. Remember, and the Secretary of State, by the way, has a lot of waiver authority when it comes to sanctions. So the first thing we have to do is just slap them all about the head and shoulders and say, stop, stop. Mm. We meant it when we did it. We meant it when we said it. It was effective when, when Donald Trump was president. Get back to it. And uh, similar, you know, at the southern border, lot, lots of areas where presidents have a lot of authority. So there's that. But then, but then issuing more sanctions. But here's the real key to me. That is to get our allies involved as well. You talk a lot about secondary sanctions. My friend Pat Toomey, when he was the ranking Republican on the Banking Committee, when when the ran or when the Russian invasion of Ukraine first started, he kept saying and and harping on the fact, rightfully, we're not doing enough to sanction Russia. We we sanction a few of the big banks. They're primary sanctions, but we're not getting into the secondary sanctions. The the world is splitting up between free loving, freedom loving people and and uh, totalitarians. We have got to get the freedom-loving countries in line and, and flex our muscle collectively. Yeah, I mean, look at the primary sanctions. So J.P. Morgan cannot finance oil sales. All right, I got that. Or yep. let's say ExxonMobil cannot do oil business with Iran. That's primary sanctions, United States yes. companies. Secondary sanctions are third parties, wherever they may be. They could mm-hmm. be in Europe. They could be China, for example. Etc. And the same thing holds for Ukraine. We have the authority to keep third parties out of the dollar system. And over 90% of the global transactions, according to the Bank for International Settlements, over 90% of these transactions are in dollars. You have the Federal Reserve wire. You have the New York Clearinghouse Banks. We can keep them out, but we have to keep them out. And that's all been relaxed. The other point is what Mitch McConnell wrote. Um, I mean, in his op-ed piece in the Wall Street Journal, you know, why have we stopped impounding shipping vessels? All right, why have we not denied Iranian planes overflight rights? Why have we not closed Iranian banks with access to the West? 
Why have we not stopped Iranian operations of European businesses? Blah, blah, blah. I mean, right. you know, good for Mitch McConnell. That's the right. kind of stuff you need. That's, that's the kind exactly of stuff right. you need. No, that's exactly right, Larry. And, and, and now, let's just flesh this out a little further, because you have a very sophisticated audience, I know. Um, it's not like all of those actions are without some risk. I mean, while 90% of global transactions go through you know, the, the dollar and through, through U.S., channels mainly the fed wire obviously but so in in some respects if you enforce that to its ultimate you sort of drive them to black markets you drive them into these other more bilateral relationships that's fine but then mitch makes this very great point that you just alluded to and i alluded to it earlier that the the role of of uh, foreign oil carrying ghost armadas as they're called Mm -hmm. these flagships where they switch the flag panama is famous for this I think that's where we really have to enforce. And this, this is remember much, much of um, when you go pre Bakken, pre you know fracking, and pre pre Donald Trump. Frankly, when when we were way more dependent on foreign oil, the, the issue of of guarding the straits, of, for, for example, Hormuz was was that was a eighty billion dollar um, national defense cost. Mm. Well, you know what. There's a cost to this, and, and, and I think the cost of, of enforcing these kinds of sanctions, enforcing the flagships issue, making sure that these teapot, uh, that's another whole thing. In, in, in China, they have these what are called teapot refineries. They're small, semi-independent refineries that sort of you know, buy under the radar, you know, probably account for 60, 70 billion, 50 billion at least dollars in, mm-hmm. in uh, oil sales from Iran. Um, granted, they buy it at a discount, but nonetheless, it still, uh, you know, still adds up to tens of billions of dollars of money for Iran, where they skirt uh, some of those sanctions. So it's it's going to take an all of government approach. But also remember, in the process of doing this, the risk I, I talk about is hmm, China, big consumer of American products, right? And I'm all about I'm all about decoupling from China, strategic decoupling, as, as our friend Bob Lighthizer calls it. Mm. I'm all about doing that, but we also have to do that carefully to make sure we don't cut off our nose to spite our face. Well, okay, but, you know. Yeah, I'm is, with you. I'm with you. Yeah, this is based on the Iranian emergency yes. and helping Israel. This yep. is a fight for yep. their life. I mean, we've got to do mm-hmm. something. Uh, well, and if we don't, Larry, by the way, if we don't do something, as you say, and do something big and bold, there's, we're just one more government away from another government doing this. I mean, right. Xi Jinping, Kim Jong-un, they're look, licking their chops watching this weak president operate. Well, that's the thing. You know, that's just, and it just drives me crazy uh, to hear this guy, Kirby, give excuses, and uh, yeah. what's his name, the National Security Advisor, give excuses, Jake Sullivan, and Blinken yes. give excuses. Uh, what's um, Yellen gave a press conference? I don't know where the hell she was. Someplace over. She's the worst of them. Yeah. Yes. On Wednesday, she said, "No, we haven't relaxed the sanctions." Well, then how'd you get? How'd they get all this money? They were practically flat broke at the end of 2020, and now they're sitting on 70 billion some out of foreign exchange reserves. Where'd that come from? Was this immaculate conception of foreign exchange reserves? No. They're trading oil. Everybody knows that, and they Everybody won't acknowledge it. Jack and was lit- just on. We, they have to be held responsible and accountable. So, so Janet Yellen, is, is she can lie blatantly into a camera, and I don't know if she doesn't know she's lying, if she's really not that well-informed, or if she's that committed to, to the things that she says, but 
but Anthony Blinken had to had to issue a waiver. He issued an yes. official waiver for yes. for the for this latest sanctions to occur. I mean, to be waived. It, it, so it's not like don't apologize for it if you're doing it. Admit it if it's a mistake. Then apologize for it. Admit that it was a mistake. But for crying out loud, don't say you didn't do it. Yes, sir. Kevin Senator Kevin Kramer from the great state of North Dakota. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it very, very much, folks. We need more domestic oil production, not more. Yes, well, let's go to 15 million barrels a day. Then we won't have to worry about this stuff anyway. Now we're talking. Now we're talking. All right, thanks. (laughs) Take care, Senator Kevin Kramer. Next up, folks, after a quick break, Alex Marlowe, editor-in-chief of Breitbart News and his new book, and he's got some thoughts about Biden's foreign policy. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. This is The Larry Kudlow Show. Now back to The Larry Kudlow Show. Alex Marlowe is the editor-in-chief of Breitbart News, and he's the co-author of the Breitbart Business Digest. He has a spanking new book out. It's already hit the bestseller list. It's called Breaking Biden, Exposing the Hidden Forces and Secret Money Machine Behind Joe Biden, His Family, and His Administration. Alex, welcome back to the show. We'll sell some books, but uh, there's a big story out there. You know, I was just reading... Your interview with Tommy Lahren, Joe Biden is a terrible ally to our friends and a soft target for our enemies. But, Alex, have you followed this story, which is just gaining some currency now, about these Iranian cutouts in the American government? Uh, Biden's chief negotiator in the Iranian nuclear talks, Robert Malley, who uh, facilitated the penetration of an Iranian spy ring into the State Department and into the Defense Department. I mean, it's really quite remarkable. Uh, His protege, this Ariana Tabatabai, who first was in state, now she's the chief of staff to uh, Christopher Mayer, the assistant secretary of defense for special operations. There's a whole string of emails uh, from this Iran Experts Initiative, which is basically run by the Iranian mullahs. They write speeches. They consult all the time. I mean, this is like Alger Hiss all over again, Alex Marlowe. I don't know if you followed this story. Yeah, Larry, this is so great. <clears throat> um, thank you for bringing this up. And uh, first of all, I was hoping I'd be able to give our friend John Carney a week off. <laughs> but I found out he's coming on right after me. So uh, I, I, I can't do that for, for our friend John. Um, and thank you for highlighting the book. Um, sure. You know, I love that you brought this up because, as you can imagine, I'm, I'm sort of in book mode and in Middle East terror mode at uh, mm-hmm. So, uh, And the book came out before this stuff was unearthed. But I couldn't resist including some of it in some of the articles I've written in the last couple of weeks because it is stunning stuff. I don't know if I have more to add than what you're sharing. Other than that, it certainly follows a pattern, which is documented in the book. But it is pretty unbelievable stuff, and all of it is to be believed. I mean, uh, I noted in a column I had about how Joe Biden bears responsibility for Hamas's terror attack uh, on Israelis. I, I, I had to point out that, yes, just two weeks ago, the Pentagon announced a probe into a Biden appointee who had a cozy relationship with Iranian officials while promoting the nuclear deal, and they touted her as a scholarly expert. But it's a phony expert, and the expert 
is, is they never hint at any progress towards Middle East peace at any kind. They don't move us in the right direction. They just announce this is an expert will give them power. And I'll note that I think these stories have been broken by a guy named Jay Solomon, who yes. is the reporter is the reporter yes. who you might recall. Uh, broke the story of the pallets of cash that went to Iran from the Obama-Biden administration. And, and, Larry, I keep asking people, who sends pallets of cash to people who fund terrorism? You have to be absolute lunatics to do that. Yes, well, I think um, when the House reconvenes and they get their speaker and so forth, Jamie Comer, the uh, oversight chair, is going to go after this, okay? I've spoken to him. Uh, we haven't had them on the show yet because they're obviously busy voting uh, for Jim Jordan or whoever's going to be the next yeah. speaker. But, yes, I think he will be investigating this. They suspended this guy, Robert Malley, uh, who grew up, by the way, with Yasser Arafat. I mean, his father was a communist uh, in Egypt, I believe. I mean, it's an incredible story. And the State Department won't tell anybody why he was suspended. Well, I know why he was suspended. You know why he was suspended. And pretty soon everybody's going to know why. This guy was an Iranian cutout, and he never should have passed the security test in the first place. Yeah, and when a guy is pushing for more engagement with terrorists, while they're, we, we now know, have been hoodwinking the world, Hamas fooled the world, acting like they're, they're governing, when they were really just trying to buy some time so they could plan their most elaborate terror attack in their history. And, you know, this guy's pushing for, for deep engagement with Hamas and Hezbollah. Yeah, of, of course, and this is the problem when the government does not have any oversight over itself, when the media does no oversight of the government, is uh, of course you're going to get people appointed to higher and higher positions that either have they either have corporate money interests uh, at their uh, at their essence or have even scarier deeper political or ideological interests that might tie them to foreign regimes. This is always a vulnerability in a government our size, and the fact is we just don't have enough oversight. We don't have enough journalists doing heavy lifting, and we don't have enough of our Congress who take this stuff seriously. We have 13 Congress people who wouldn't even vote for a pro-forma, pro-Israel resolution this week. I mean, that type of stuff is just, just it, 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 I hate to say it, Larry, but it's kind of Nazi stuff. Yeah. The other point is uh, with um, Tommy Laren and others, you're you're basically connecting dots from the catastrophic withdrawal of Afghanistan right through to Iran and Hamas. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I have a couple of articles uh, that are at Breitbart.com that you guys can get that sort of elaborate or um, borrow from some of the stuff uh, that I talk about in Breaking Biden. But I look back at Joe's history, and uh, in a nutshell, what he's done is he has emboldened uh, enemies of freedom. He has emboldened people who are dictators, who are, uh, use brutality, use terror. And he's been a very lousy ally for our friends, particularly Israel. Uh, but even those who are reforming in a positive way, like Saudi Arabia, have a lot of issues with Saudi Arabia, but they're obviously on the right track relative to the rest of the region. And they're trying to have a peace. And uh, Joe Biden is moving in the wrong direction. His Taliban, um, his withdrawal from Afghanistan, for example, where he left $7 billion of stuff, including drones, including military vehicles, helicopters, weaponry, hundreds of thousands of rifles, stuff like that. That He did this, and he went against every recommendation from our allies, uh, from, his, from his own generals. 
and his continued support sending cash to Iran repeatedly. Yep. Yep. Some of those weapons, I think, have gone into Hamas, by the way, on the black market. Anyway, Alex Marlowe's book is called Breaking Biden, Exposing the Hidden Forces and Secret Money Machine Behind Joe Biden, His Family, and His Administration. Thank you, Alex. John Carney, up next. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. We are sticking with Breitbart News. John Carney's Breitbart News Editor for Economics and Finance and co-author of the Breitbart Business Digest with the aforementioned Alex Marlowe. John, welcome back. So, all aboard the Marrakech Express, inflation is <laughs> sticky, and um, the bond market um, may be in some trouble. By the way, we had Stephen Mnuchin on the show last night. He agrees with you. He thinks that the really? no, that's bond, great. bond market yields are going to go higher. He, he thinks he, he qualified a little higher, but he's uh, kind of in your camp. And and some of these inflation reports this week were, um, you know, it showed it's still a problem. That's right. And I think this is what made, you know, my title, the, the All Aboard the Marrakesh Express, comes from the fact that James Bullard was out in Marrakesh, Morocco, at a World Bank IMF conference, not at the conference itself, but a, you know, a side seminar. And I think he's seen what the bond market has been doing lately, which is basically saying no more rate hikes, next Fed move is down. And he looked at these recent numbers and said, that's not justified. I mean, you know, nobody knows what the future will hold, but it's not justified based on what we're seeing right now. What we're seeing now is not inflation spiking rapidly upward or anything, but just that we're not making progress on inflation, which means that we don't get to 2% unless something changes. Either we start making more progress mysteriously. I'm not sure how that would happen. Or the Fed needs to continue hiking rates. That's a view that's so far out of consensus right now that I was really glad that we had, you know, that it's not just me you, Mnuchin, you know, making this point, it, you know, having Bullard make it is important because now that he's not on the Fed, he actually has a little bit more freedom to speak, but he knows what they're thinking. So I think it, it bears paying attention, particularly when recently ex-Fed presidents speak, we should pay a lot of attention to what they're saying. Jim Bullard's a smart guy. So he's at the Purdue Business School now. Uh, he is an acquaintance of mine. He was kind of the mentor for Christopher Waller, who was on the Federal Reserve Board and was a senior advisor at the St. Louis Fed that Bullard ran for many years. Actually, Bullard recommended uh, Waller to me, and so we put him on the Federal Reserve Board. President Trump signed off on that. Interesting, John, you know, bonds... So the 10-year note fell 20 basis points this week, some odd, 461 at the close, uh, in what may be the worst Middle East blow-up in 50 years. Um, I mean, apart from all the other stuff. But the CPI, PPI, the top-line numbers came in stronger. I'm so tired of everyone telling me, uh, excluding food and energy. I mean, I don't know what core... Prices are food and energy. I mean, I just don't get this, John Carney. 
That's right. They, and a lot of them are also out there saying, we'll, well, we'll also exclude shelter prices, right? Oh. So, we're, so we're excluding everything humans need, right? Food, energy, shelter. Uh, I did a quick back of the envelope calculation and figured out that they're actually excluding nearly 60% of everything <laughs> once you cut out food, energy, inflation. So, you know, so what's left is just a stub of CPI, and then they try to reason from that. That's a disastrous thing because, it's one, it doesn't tell you how the public is going to react to inflation. Mm. But, two, it, it, you're, you're actually excluding the things that are changing people's lives, and you're coming up with a number that, you know, that tells you what you want to hear. Oh, inflation's going away, but it's not actually telling you what's going to happen next. Well, as you say, it's not going back to 9%, but it does look kind of sticky, uh, somewhere between 3 and 5%, and the Fed's target is 2%. So that leaves them with a dilemma. That's right. And, um, you know, some of the people, it's actually interesting, some of the same people who are saying, well, no, inflation's over, we won, uh, victory, hurrah are actually the same people who are saying, well, the Fed shouldn't try to get down to 2%. Maybe they should just settle at 3%, uh, so, which is a little bit of a contradiction. If we won, that would mean we're on the path to 2%. Yet at the same time, they say, well, maybe we shouldn't actually be on the way to 2% or 3%. I'm, you know, 2% was a number that, you know, was developed uh, 20 years ago. I don't know that it's the right number. What I do know is that the Fed absolutely, this is the first time the Fed has been tested on the 2% number. If it abandons it now and moves to 3%, it really will damage the credibility of central banks all over the world because you just say, well, no, they, you know, they don't actually have an inflation target. They just move infl- the inflation target to what happens to be the rate of inflation at any given time. Well, it's interesting, John Carney, um, if the Atlanta Fed GDP is close, so they're saying 5% real growth yeah. in the third quarter. And I will get that number in a week or two. And so suppose I put on a 4% inflation rate uh, or 35 That's 85 to 9% for nominal GDP, which used to be some kind of Fed target. I mean, that's way above uh, anything that they really want in the long run. I mean, they're going to have to deal with that number. That's right. They would, the way they would look at it is that is a unsustainable, problematic level of nominal growth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, they can, and they, they, it is beyond the economy's potential. It will create all sorts of problems to have that level of nominal growth. So they, they will need to address that. I think, if, you know, even if you take I, I, one one approach I've seen somebody take is take the New York Fed. They've resurrected their now cast. They're at 2.5 percent, by the way. So, they're, you know, that's also higher than what the Fed thinks the long run growth rate should be. But if you average the two, we're still at three or four percent, which if you give another three or four percent for uh, inflation puts us at nominal growth at 7%. That's still a very overheated economy. And one, by the way, I think that a lot of people would have told you that if the Fed funds rate is up above 5%, we wouldn't be growing that fast, but we are. And so, frankly, I think the Fed funds rate needs to go, as you know, Bullard said, 6, 6.5%. Hmm. Uh, 
I think he's probably right that unless we see something dramatically change, and I don't see that anything in the offing happening, uh, we probably do need to go. And that's, you know, so we're at, we're 100 basis points below where Bullard hinted we might need to go, and I think that's probably right. And that will shock well, people because that's four more hikes. Well, that's right. That's exactly right. Changes the whole ball game, whole atmosphere in the bond market. You know, uh, I know there are a lot of uh, Taylor rules, John Taylor rules, but we had, I had John on the show, I don't know, a couple months ago. He, his own working Taylor rule was 6%. I mean, that's, so we're at five and a quarter to five and a half. So you're two or three hikes away. But as you note, none of this is in the market, which makes you wonder what kind of volatility is out there. Right. I think there's a, there's a big problem in that the market has really convinced itself that the next Fed move, maybe there's one more hike, but after that, the next Fed move is definitely down and probably sooner rather than later. Um, some people that I really respect think it, it could come as early as March, a Fed cut. I think that given what we're seeing in nominal growth and, and the inflation numbers, that that is not going to happen, that we are going to, that we're, we're going to have a hike actually, in the first quarter of next year, because the Fed will realize, oh, you know, inflation isn't coming down. We'll have several more numbers. So, you know, I, I think they're not, I think they'll be hesitant to hike into next year, but I think by March or, you know, April, May period, then we they probably will have to say, look, inflation hasn't come down as we expected. We're not on a path to 2%. Well, you know, I'm a believer in efficient markets, okay? But Really, John Carney, haven't these, you know, futures markets and Fed funds and so forth been pretty wrong the last year or two? I mean, they're always they really they're always, they're always predicting a drop in the Fed funds rate, which doesn't happen. Right, they really have been wrong. Um, remember, efficient markets can only be as good as both the data and the analysis. Right, it's not. It, it tells us that. It incorporates all the data that's come in, but it doesn't tell us it's necessarily correct. And so what I would say is that um, while the markets have been underpricing where the Fed needs to go and underpricing inflation and how persistent it will be, uh, I'm not surprised that that is continuing. And, and frankly, you know, again, as you said, they've been wrong for so long right now that we do have to wonder whether there may be a kind of, you know, because we had very low inflation for such a long time and then followed by very low interest rates, there may be an adjustment, a sort of, you know, a mental cognitive adjustment that needs to happen mm-hmm. that hasn't happened yet. When we first went to zero interest rates, everybody thought, that's crazy. We have to go back up to 5% eventually. Now we're at 5% and people think, that's crazy. We have to go back towards zero again. Mm. I don't think that's right. I think we, we were in a long regime of low interest rates, and we may now be in the next long regime of higher interest rates. Yeah. All right. John Carney, co-author of the Breitbart Business Digest. Thank you, John. Folks, quick break. Other side of the break, Charlie Hurd, just about the best political analyst in Washington, D.C., He's going to come on. We're going to talk about Jim Jordan. Is he going to be the next Speaker of the House? I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. 
Larry Kudlow. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. The best, best, most creative, most imaginative Washington, D.C. political analyst is Charlie Hurt, Washington Times opinion editor and Fox News contributor. Welcome back, Charlie. Thank you. Let's talk a bit about Jim Jordan. Is this the one? We went from McCarthy to Scalise, Jim Jordan. Now, they had all these... The, the GOP conference had all these meetings. They were sort of getting in touch with their feelings, trying to work out personal issues. Then they started voting, and now he's got 155 votes. Can he make it, Charlie Hurt? <laughs> well, I guess that remains to be seen. I think there's definitely a path for it. But I, I just have to stop and say one thing. <laughs> How hilarious would it be if, after all this, you know, Democrats voted in lockstep to create this crisis, to create this whole mess, where we don't have a Speaker of the House. It took 208 of them and eight Republicans, but to all 208 of them to do this. If at the end of all of it, they end up dumping Kevin McCarthy and wind up with Jim Jordan. <laughs> it's the funniest thing on right. earth. Because a lot of people forget that just eight or ten years ago, Jim Jordan was as despised hmm. as, uh, it was the most despised member of, of Congress, he was this, 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 the the king, and 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 it's just so funny to me that that this could wind up. I I, I honestly think it could, largely because I think that um, that it almost doesn't matter at this point. The the party, you know, the Republican conference has so uh, so right on all of the issues that matter the most to American the American people. Um, and, and we're and we're especially seeing it with this whole, you know, the, the Israeli thing, the, you know, the Israeli attack, the attacks on Israel. Um, you know, the, the Democrats are so far out of step that I, I think that Jim Jordan absolutely. It's very easy for Republicans to, in the end, rally around somebody. Mm-hmm. And I think that Jim Jordan has a very good shot at it. Um, he's got obviously all of the other pluses in terms of his uh, great prosecutorial and investigative chops um but at the end of the day i think that if you know if for some reason he's not able to do it you know the next guy that comes along or gal that comes along um will you know will still be focused on a lot of these same issues that are total winners for Mm -hmm. republicans thanks to donald trump by the way you know uh your point about jordan is is a very good point it's a humorous point but it's a serious point he was co-founder of the Freedom Caucus. He's a very conservative guy. He's a bulldog himself, personally. He's also a really good guy. I mean, he's a really nice man. Yeah. But, um, you know, he's a guy that won't let go. So, right, Hakeem, Je- Hakeem Jeffrey is going to yearn for Kevin McCarthy <laughs> when, when he has to deal with Jim Jordan. Because yeah. uh, Jim Jordan, who was an NCAA wrestling champion and a wrestling coach after that, is not a guy to let go easily. <laughs> if you've and, ever and seen a exactly college right. wrestling match, if they don't let go. <laughs> in their fingers that we don't have in our arms. It's, yeah. it's You don't want to get tangled up with a wrestler. But then, but you make a great point about this. The fact that, you know, obviously Jim Jordan is a, is a wonderfully generous and kind and, and a, a likable guy. He's appealing and all that kind of stuff, which differentiates him from Matt Gates. Matt Gates is not a particularly uh, likable or lovable guy. But in terms of the level of hatred that was directed at Jim Jordan when he started his backbench rabble-rousing years ago, 
it was the same. They hated him as much. He was Matt Gates. He was the Matt Gates of, mm-hmm. of eight years ago or ten years ago. But the difference is he's a realist. Jim Jordan is a realist. And he looks around and figures out, okay, how do I advance the agenda that people care about? How do I get things done? And he has done such a masterful job of it that that uh, and, and he does it with with humility and, and, and as you point out, tenacity that, that here we are now. He's been, <laughs> he's the best to win for Speaker of the House. It yeah, would be absolutely spectacular. He's Hakeem Jeffries worst nightmare. I mean, there's no question mm-hmm. about that. Um, Jim Jordan, Joe Biden's go- worst nightmare. Oh, right, because he'll be in meetings with Biden. (laughs) That's exactly Larry, we need to, you know, but I wish you would take a a lesson from you on how to dress properly. You're going to need to, like, pool up together and buy him a a blue blazer. He doesn't even need to wear a suit. Just get a blazer for the guy to show up to the White House. That's all I it's funny that is his trademark. He never he never wears a jacket. He just never wears a jacket. Um, they have they, you can get him a Goodwill for a really good price. <laughs> you can get him for like twelve bucks off the rack at Goodwill. And I think that as, you know, as our, it, it should be our patriotic duty to to uh, pool together our resources and buy him a jacket. Oh God, that's wonderful. And we could have a whole ceremony with it. We could do it on the show. As a matter of fact, <laughs> um, he's look. He'll be tough on the border. He's going to be skeptical of Ukraine. He's going to be tough on Israel, uh, tough on spending, tough on taxing, uh, tough on the Green New Deal. I mean, you're right. It's just, uh, you know, they'll, they'll yearn for, well, I don't know what they'll yearn for. But he, he, so what's, is there, people are telling me, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you're all kinds of stuff. And you know House members. I know House members. Uh, they say, though, they think he can, he, he needs, what, 50 votes, 55 votes? People are saying yeah. he can actually get it. And I think that the longer that um, things go on where people look around and see all of the serious problems facing the country, and, and by the way, I don't think that this, that this discord that we've been through uh, with the House stuff, is, none of it is anything that sticks with voters come yeah. next November. It's irrelevant. Yeah. Um, but it, does, it is a bad look in the short term. It makes them look kind of ridiculous especially considering I think most people don't really care who the speaker is. It's kind of not, not really the most – they care far more about what they're paying at the gas pump and what they're paying at the grocery store and what's going on at the border. And, and I, but I do think, you know, when you just listed through the, the, the list of issues that, that Jim Jordan is good at on, he is good on them. It, 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 you know, it's not hard to bring the caucus along to be strong on all those things. And, again, they are massive winners when you break it down, and this is the lesson from Trump about listen, actually listening to the voters, either in the Republican Party or generally, these are, you know, the border is like an 80, 90 percent issue. It's right. like it's crazy that you have an entire party that is opposed to a, a border, our own border. It's insane that you have an entire party that's against allowing uh, uh, allowing the American people to exploit the oil and gas reserves on the, that they own on property they own in order to lower gas prices. That's insane. But yet, yet you still have the Democrat Party who's against that. And Jim Jordan, uh, as well as Donald Trump, and the Republican Party is now firmly in favor of building a border, uh, drilling for oil, the, the oil and gas that we American citizens own on public property 
the lower gas prices and 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 of course inflation the the, the republican party is is uh understands the importance of dealing with inflation yeah got it charlie hurt washington times thank you for your time today we appreciate it as thank always you. folks we will take a break and on the other side we'll do some stock market work Israel, Hamas, and the stock market. What's all that mean? I'm Kudlow. Please stick around. We've got another hour to go. It's the Larry Kudlow Show. Free market prosperity starts here. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. By the way, join us during the week. Fox Business, 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. If you can't make it at 4, just text your favorite 9-year-old, and she'll show you how to DVR the show here on radio. You can get us on the Internet, live stream us on the net, LarryCudlowShow.com, LarryCudlowShow.com, playing all around the country, around the world, throughout the solar system, and the Milky Way. All right, war and stocks, I guess, war and interest rates, I guess, war and oil prices, I guess. We've got Jack Perusian, chairman of the Global Smart Commodity Group. We've got Mike Ozanian, assistant managing editor of Forbes Media, and co-host of Forbes Sports Money TV show. That one plays on the Yes Network. Gentlemen, uh, welcome back. Uh, I don't know, Mike Ozanian, a little bump up in oil, a little bump up in oil, uh, maybe five bucks, but it's, uh, let's see, West Texas crude, I'll call it 88 bucks. Brent crude, I'll call it 91 bucks. What are you guys thinking? You guys have both been around. You've, uh, yeah, I think you'll go back to the Yom Kippur War, the Arab oil embargo. It doesn't look like that right now, but who knows? Um, lots of conflagrations in the Middle East. The Saudis versus the Iranians. Iranians are going to wind up producing more oil than the United States, the way uh, Joe Biden's going. That was a joke. But in any case, I'll start with Michael Zanian. What does this war mean for financial markets? I think oil is going to go significantly higher, Larry. Mm. Uh, I think interest rates are going to go uh, higher. Um, And perhaps uh, I'm overly optimistic in the sense that I think at some point, and part of the reason is at some point, I think the Biden administration is going to wake up. And uh, if not fully, at at least uh, slowly and start moving towards the Trump policy with sanctions against Iran and oil. Uh, and, I, and I think that that's going to, at least in the short run, boost up prices because uh, our domestic ability to produce energy has been hampered so much by the Biden administration. We're no longer energy independent as we were under President Trump. So to me, uh, that, that spells higher oil prices. And while inflation uh, has not been increasing at the rate it was a year or so ago, it's still very high. And the bond market, the long bond market, while it's retreated a little bit up until a few days ago, uh, is still high. So uh, 
I, I think that interest rates are going to stay high. I think oil prices are moving higher. You know, it's so interesting. The, the Bidens so far, fellas, are in complete denial or lying about the sanctions, and particularly the oil sanctions, but you could add banking sanctions and business. They have relaxed the sanctions. The data show that clearly. They've got $70 billion or more in foreign exchange reserves. They had next to nothing three years ago. And the oil's gone from about 400,000 barrels to uh, three and a half to four million barrels. Uh, I don't know what that's worth. It's 60, 70, 80 billion dollars. Uh, they, they're in denial about that, Jack Perusian. Now, the question is, uh, maybe Mike is going to be right, and they'll come around. But, you know, part of the strategy, besides, part of the Biden strategy, besides wanting to make a nuclear deal with Iran, which in my humble opinion is sheer insanity, I mean, they, since they want to clamp down with the Green New Deal, they want to clamp down on drilling at home, I think they're perfectly happy to have Iran produce more, even though it's a rogue state, and it now threatens uh, Israel through Hamas. So, Mr. Berujan, what do you think about this? Well, well, here's a little dirty secret, Larry. Uh, you know, I think that the Biden people are also lying to their own people, all right? You know, we are quietly quietly producing more oil than we have ever done before. You know, the question is, how much are we exporting? But but that's one thing to keep in mind. This is not 1973 anymore. Shale back then was only a dream. Right? Now we can actually take what we're producing. The only problem is that a lot of the refineries are set for, for sweet, and we produce sour. So, so the real question is, how do we convert these things, and how do we make a match-up? But as far as positioning ourselves for national security reasons, I think that, that the Biden administration has been lying to their own people. All right, I've got a feeling that there's a lot more oil out there than we think. And, and you can see some, some of the stuff that's happening. It's what we would consider to be off-plats. All right, the plats is where you'd see the reporting of the actual transaction. Anything the Russians are doing or the Iranians are doing is off plats. We don't see it. So at any given time, those transactions could be you know, maybe 50% discount to what we actually see Brent or WTI trading at. Now, having said that, all right, remember, we have seen oil going up, and this is happening with the dollar going higher. So imagine the impact to the European markets. It's one of the reasons why Europe has been getting hit so bad. So I do think that there is a lot happening there. I don't think this is 1973 unless we see it start and there's a contagion in the Middle East. Look, you know, uh, Iran is, is the wild card. If we see Hezbollah come in from the north. Uh, and, and I was just there, Larry. My wife and I just got back from Israel a week before the hostilities. We did our oh. pilgrimage, did all the holy sites. I went to the Armenian quarter, Mike. So, so I had to, to, to go see the the the, uh, the, the monastery of St. James where my parents were raised. But, but more importantly, you know, you see a country that was ready. You know, honestly, if they are mobilized, they are ready. That that, that country is set for survival. All right. And and they are going to do whatever is necessary to survive. So so having said all of that, I don't think the impact of the war is going to be nearly as great as it was in 73 or in 67 to the economies. Uh, but I do do think you, we have to watch out for it. Well, that's the thing. How do you play that? Do you get defensive? I mean, bond rates, it's interesting to me. Let's go to the bond market. Bond rates fell last week. Uh, they fell about 20 basis points. So the 10 year retreated to 460, 461, whatever. Um, I thought it was going to five, but it's retreated. Is that going to be temporary 
uh, Michael Zanian. I do. I do think it's going to be temporary. I, I, I just think that, uh, number one, uh, the amount of government spending uh, is incredibly high. And while Jack's point about the dollar, of course, is right on, the strength of the dollar certainly has gotten stronger relative to other currencies. But in terms of it actually being strong, I don't think you could have a, a truly strong dollar when you have high commodity prices. Uh, and, and in a relative sense, compared to where they were a few years ago, they're much higher. Commodities are still priced high, uh, relative, especially relative to the strength of the economy. Mm. Uh, so I look, I'll just keep this real simple. I'm a guy. Keep it simple, stupid, the old sports thing, right? A strong president gives you a strong dollar. A weak president gives you a weak dollar, ultimately. Mm -hmm. So I think we have a weak president. I think we're going to have a weak dollar relative to pricing. In other words, I'm talking about consumers actually buying goods here in this country. And I think that uh, inflation is going to be persistently high. Uh, well, that's right. I mean, Jack, inflation numbers came in this week. They were high. I mean, they're not yeah, going back to 9 or 10, but they're holding. They're very sticky at uh, 3, 4, 5. Larry, if it wasn't for what happened last week in Israel, chances are we would see the bond market be getting hit again this past week. Uh, this past week. The yeah. only reason it stopped is because there was a flight to quality. Uh, there, there was fear in the air. There, there was, well, you know, whenever there's any indecision at all financially, what you do is, you know, you, as a portfolio manager, you run to the bond market. But, but the reality is, if you look at a chart, remember, we have seen that the move in that tenure, it went from 330 in April up to, what, 47480 just a couple of weeks ago. That is a traumatic move for a 10-year bond. All right. When you look at it on a percentage scale. So the, what that tells me and what, what I said to you a few months ago on this very show is that the bond vigilantes are back. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, this administration and even the Fed are going to have huge issues because they can't control the long end of the curve. That's a great, great point. Great point. I, I, it just as an inflection point, guys, you know, you know, Fitch's downgrade of the U.S. debt on August 1st. I think that was a very key moment, you know, not in the sense that we were going to default on our debt. But, you know, as Jack was pointing out, the market's going to set the bond rate. And that's that that move by Fitch sent alarm bells off in the bond market. Well, the bond market, the Fed funds futures market, they're still betting on lower rates, lower target, you know, policy target rates and lower rates. But the bond market's been wrong. The futures market's been wrong. It's been wrong for, I don't know, at least a year. They keep saying the Fed's going to ease, the Fed's going to ease. I don't know if the Fed's going to ease. The Fed might tighten some more. Well, but remember what the bond market and the, and the Fed fund futures market are also telling you is that if the Fed does cut, all right, it's going to be because there is a traumatic shock to the economy. And in many ways, a lot of these bond traders are thinking that far ahead. They're looking at what's happening. These are serious headwinds. 
You know, you've got a Fed that's tightening. Uh, you know, you've got the, the Inflation Reproduction Act that, that's kind of taken hold of the economy here. <laughs> and, and we, you know, we, we've seen the effects. And it's one of the reasons why Fitch did what they did, Michael. I mean, we all know that, right? right? Because we saw, we started seeing the effects of that. So, you know, all of that is starting to play into pricing the market. The, the Fed is going to have a real hard time. They're going to be, they're going to be, I used to call it the landing a 747 on an aircraft carrier. I think it's going to be even more difficult than that for them to get the soft landing that they desire. All right, take a break. Jack Perusian, chairman of the Global Smart Commodity Group, Mike Ozanian, Forbes Media, and Coast of Forbes Sports Money on the Yes Network. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Jack Perusian, chairman of the Global Smart Commodity Group, and Mike Ozanian, assistant managing editor of Forbes Media co-host of Forbes Sports Money on the Yes Network. <clears throat> I got a great one, guys. Um, Paul Krugman, a favorite. The war on inflation is over. If you take the CPI, X, food, energy, shelter, and used <laughs> cars, it's uh, down to 2%, the Fed's target. How about that? You know, if you take everything out, there'll be no inflation at all. <laughs> but the actual numbers did not show that. What do you guys make of that? This, you know, he's a very distinguished guy. He's a Nobel Prize for that. Fabulous stuff. Go ahead, take wow. a whack at it, Mike Ozanian. I well, I would say this to Mr. Krugman. You know, I'm looking at uh, Mastercard, right? And I'm looking at these credit card rates. So mm-hmm. you're now, if you're carrying in uh, debt on your credit card, you're now paying over 28 percent interest. Over 28 mm-hmm. percent. Hmm. In August, just going back a couple months, it was below 23%, right? So think about that. Like, that's what I'm talking about. When I say inflation relative to how people actually live every day and hmm. uh, not how Mr. Krugman would define it, where you don't buy anything or live in a house <laughs> or anything like that. I mean, we've seen a huge, huge drop in existing home sales uh, and uh, – you know, right now, it's going to be very tough because we're now in contraction territory and bank lending. So uh, all of these things make life a lot harder and a lot more expensive. Yeah, I'm looking uh, the CPI the last three months, 4.9% at an annual rate. That includes food and energy, which is what people buy. Last three months. Then if I want to play a little game, I can take services, and I'll take energy out of services. I don't know why, but that's what Jay Powell looks at. Last three months, 5.4% at an annual rate. And uh, Jack Bruzen, besides that, last three months, wholesale prices, uh, PPI, 7.7 at an annual rate. 0.5 0.5 in September, 0.7 in August, 0.6 in July. 7.7% at annual rate. Now, I would say that's moving in the wrong direction, Mr. Berusian. Well, and, and you, you would be absolutely right, sir. And, and the reality is this. Uh, you know, it's not input costs. You know, we were worried about what was happening to commodities a year ago. Well, if you look at the commodity markets now, you know, soybeans are no longer in the teens. All right, that was the, the big story. Was beans in the teens, and we saw them going up to fifteen dollars a bushel. Well, you know, now they're back down to twelve. Corn is back down to levels that were pre-pandemic. A lot of these commodities have come down to where they were before the shock. 
So what, what is really causing all this? Well, it, it's wages. Wages are very mm-hmm. sticky. We're seeing all of this trade union mentality start to creep back into the wage force. And worse yet, we've got a president that's taken sides. All right? He's basically taken sides. Who, what president has gone to a union site on behalf of strikers ever in the history of this country? All right? And yet we just saw Biden do that. So what does that tell you? He is going to be pushing for higher wages, for higher inflationary pressure. That's where it's coming from. That's the sticky part of the equation that people seem to be missing. And I think our president seems to be missing it most importantly. Mike, uh, Mike Ozanian, what do you do with the stock market now? Well, I, I'll tell you one thing. I think I would play the big increase in uh, credit card interest debt. I, I love MasterCard. I mean, MasterCard's earning over 22% on its assets right now. It, it's, 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 coin, it's got a license to coin money. And as you guys know, consumer discretionary spending has actually been one of the bright spots in the economy. So you got consumers spending more, putting more on their credit card, and and the credit card companies charging more. So I so I think that's that's a good play for investors. And going back to the top of this discussion about oil and so forth, you know where I think oil is going, which is higher, uh, is perhaps not perhaps not the consensus. So a lot, some of these oil companies now are, are great value plays. I love Exxon. Exxon is selling for less than nine times earnings, and, and you get a dividend yield just under 4%. So I like Exxon as well. Exxon bought Pioneer. What does that mean? <laughs> that means they're, they're, they're looking for more scale. Yeah. And, uh, you know, that's, I mean, when you generate the amount of cash that, that, that Exxon does, you know, it gives you an advantage. And I think that that's one of the things we're seeing with Pioneer. Darren Woods, he's sticking with fossil fuels. It's fascinating to me. He's making a big bet, long-run fossil fuels. Going to overturn Joe Biden's Green New Deal. That's the way I read it. I know the guy. He's an old-line oil guy. You know, Exxon will remain Exxon. I think that's pretty cool. Anyway, stocks will remain stocks. Jack Berusian will remain Jack Berusian. He's the chairman of the Global Smart Commodity Group. And Michael Zanian... Uh, Forbes Media and Sports Money on the S Network. I'm Kudlow, folks. A brief break. And on the other side, Liz Peek and Steve Moore talk some money and some politics. Please stick around. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. All right, some money in politics. We got Liz Peek, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist. We got Steve Moore from Freedom Works, Comedian Unleashed Prosperity Hotline, and his WABC radio host of More Money on many of these same radio stations. Welcome back, kids. Liz Peek, what is this anti Semitism on college campuses? And the fancier the school, the more anti Semitism. I mean, I don't get it. I mean, honestly, I don't get it. I went to one of those schools, too. So did you. But really? I mean, really? Is this the best they can do? And these college presidents have feet of clay, and they're afraid to say anything, Liz Pig? Well, I think they are. Uh, and the reason is that this is not something new. This has been blossoming for, I would say, two decades, maybe, uh, where... Basically, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict has become an issue on college campuses where left-wing 
foreign uh, policy professors are basically taking the side of Palestine. I mean, it's very simple. Israel's a bad guy. They are the oppressor. They're keeping millions of people uh, in, in bondage, in effect, in Gaza and the West Bank. And this has become an anti-Semitic trope, if you will. But it's really horrifying to me, Larry, as it is to you. And, and it has gone unchecked. When Elon Omar talks about it's all about the Benjamins, talking about why we support Israel, young people take that to heart. And they say, well, why are we supporting Israel? Not because it's a democracy, not because we are longtime allies of this only democracies in the, democracy in the Middle East, but rather because our world is controlled by Jews. This is a dangerous thing, Larry, mm-hmm. and frankly, it's probably a good thing that we are seeing this in action, uh, because now people are alert to it, and yet it has been there. It's a cancer, and it's been growing in Europe and in the United States. Yeah, put it out in the open. That's an interesting uh, angle, Liz. Get it out in the open so it can be smashed down. Keep it from uh, the sort of sub-status that it's had. But you're right. And by the way, you're right about Europe. It's amazing to me. European businesses have turned anti-Semitic, don't want to do business with Israel. Yeah. It's really quite remarkable. Quite remarkable. Very disgusting. Uh, Steve Moore, you know, I don't understand this. I, I tried to watch some of the coverage, uh, Fox coverage and so forth, of these protesters. You know, Israel basically, for better or worse, and obviously for worse now, let Hamas run Gaza, okay? That was probably a, a mistake. But <laughs> this whole issue of colonization, Israel let them run it. And in fact, you know, we're in a sense surprised because everybody thought Hamas was busy governing uh, Gaza, if such a thing is possible. And now look what's happened. So I don't even understand that argument. Well, I just want to say that I went to the University of Illinois, which is one of those land-grant universities, and we didn't have those kind of protests. We're not one of those elitist. Uh, uh, it yes. is amazing, as Liz was saying, that the more um, elite and upscale the university, the more crazy they are on these campuses. And shame on not just the protesters. Uh, these are kids, nineteen, twenty years old. They don't, they're, they're, they don't know what they're doing. But I'm surprised and disappointed in the university administrations and the presidents of these colleges that they mm-hmm. haven't really spoken out. Uh, these are the pe- same people who shout down any conservative who goes on campus, right? And and now they're allowing these kind of despicable uh, protests. Um, it, what can I say? It goes back to what Sarah Huckabee Sanders warned about when she gave the response to the State of the Union, that what we have is two choices in America today, common sense and craziness. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. the Democratic Party has been overtaken by a lunatic left. And what's disappointing to me, Larry, is that there are so few Democrats who are willing to speak out against the crazies in their own party. Pathetic. You know, yeah, but, but remember, they need youth voters, and they don't have them right now. Young people are identifying as independents, not as Democrats. And Joe Biden, in particular, if you look at his polling, young people just aren't going to turn out for Joe Biden. So what he should be doing right now, Larry, is giving an Oval Office address attacking anti-Semitism, mm-hmm. making it clear mm-hmm. there is no mm-hmm. room for that in this country, and talking about the history of the Holocaust and the Jewish people. I mean, I, I looked at a CNN survey done maybe three or four years ago 
showing a third of people in Europe don't know anything about the Holocaust. Mm. An, an incredible number of Americans could not name a single uh, Nazi camp. They, they had no idea what had happened to the Jews in Europe. Why is this happening? I mean, I, I find, I'm not Jewish, but I tell you, if I were, I would be scared to death right now because all of these signals are so terrible. No, you I know like what's that. amazing about this list is that it's the you know for the last twenty years it's been the left that has accused the right of being Holocaust deniers yeah. and you know and they accuse us of being Nazis mm-hmm. and look what's happening by these kind of Nazi uh, you know Hamas is basically like a Nazi organization and so many of these members of Congress in the Democratic Party and on college campuses are siding with the uh, with Hamas yeah. I like that uh, Oval speech, Oval Office speech. Uh, he, he won't do it, but that's a terrific idea. Now, there is some, you know, Liz, you got um, Bill Ackman of Harvard who fought back, and uh, the guy, um, the head of the board of the Kennedy School resigned. He was a big donor. Larry uh, Summers. See, there's a, Larry Summers, good for him. Uh, you got um, at the University of Pennsylvania, you got some big-time donors who are calling for the president's head. So, so th- that goes to your point. So it's surfaced, and there now there is a backlash, okay? And they don't want to hire kids, uh, you know, who are okay with babies' heads getting cut off. So maybe some good could possibly come from this. Yeah, maybe. And and again, I think it's really up to leaders. I mean, where is Chuck Schumer on this, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he le- he is a senator from a state that is home to more Jews than any place but Israel, uh, they have been remarkably quiet, those New York uh, Democrats. Mm. And mm. they should be leading right now. They should be exposing these lies, because that's what it is. And to Steve's point, the, the reality is that Hamas has been involved uh, in governing Gaza, as you point out, Larry, no mean feat, to be sure. But they have taken enormous amounts of money from the U.N. and mm. other organizations and basically turned it to creating war. This is not a group that is supportive of the Palestinian people or the welfare of the Palestinian people. I get that those, by the way, President Carter wrote a book about, uh, which basically went into the misery of the Palestinian people and, and discussed Israel as an apartheid nation. This has been a long time in the making. Uh, and, and I really think you know, these uh, these college campuses have spawned this misinformation. That's what it is. And somebody needs to really go after this. And really, it should be Joe Biden. Well, you're well, saying but you're saying that Hamas is not the Palestinians. That's a really important point. Yeah, that is true. a really important point. There's a, most Palestinians do not belong to Hamas. And so to group them together is 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 uh, it is misinformation, and it's a fundamental misunderstanding of the political governance over there. Hamas is just a crazy terrorist group. Uh, Palestinians—that's uh, a different uh, ball of wax altogether. It's a crazy terrorist group that is funded and supported by Iran. Mm-hmm. And I think the great missing piece in this whole discussion of the last several days has been the Biden administration literally putting a blindfold on and saying, nope, no evidence of Iran's involvement. The New York Times uh, and the Wall Street Journal have provided a lot of evidence of Iran's involvement. And yet we can't go there, Larry. Why? Because oil prices would go higher. And who does that hurt? 
Americans and Joe Biden's approval ratings. Yeah, you know, Steve, uh, they have, I mean, Janet Yellen gives a speech Wednesday. We haven't relaxed the sanctions. Of course they've relaxed the sanctions. That's what all the numbers show on oil production, oil sales, foreign exchange reserves. All that stuff was practically zero when Trump left office. Now they're booming. I mean, the $6 billion thing, Steve, uh, yeah, okay, let's keep it away from Iran. But that's a drop in the bucket compared to $70, $80 billion of oil sales. That's where the revenues are coming from to finance Hamas and Hezbollah. There's no doubt about that. And, And look, how many times have we warned on this radio show and on Fox News and all three of us about the fact that not only has um, the the uh, Biden anti-American energy policy uh, an uh, incredibly economically imbecilic thing to do, but that, that this is a national security threat as well. And we knew this from what happened in Russia, and with we know that uh, basically uh, the you know Russian war machine is funded with with oil dollars, which we could have denied them if we'd continued with the the Trump pro-drilling policy. And we also knew that, that terrorist countries like Iran were, you know, <laughs> where else would the money come from from Hamas than, than Iran and from the petrodollars? And I estimate, you know, I think you said, what number did you say, $70 billion? Larry, I, I, yeah. Yeah, and that's about what I have a piece on foxnews.com on this. I estimate a little, a little bit lower than that, about 40 to $50 billion, But that's a huge amount of money that's being financed, that's financing these weapons and these missiles that are being used to slaughter people. So let's get back. I mean, if Biden were serious, he'd say, you know what? We're going to put climate change aside for a few yeah. months. And we're going to drill every single barrel we can to to take money away from these terrorist groups. But he simply will not do it. I mean, the th- trick now is to get a bipartisan group together. And, and they exist. Uh, yep. Talking to Joni Ernst about this, talking to uh, uh, Kevin Kramer about this, and rejuvenate, reimpose maximum sanctions on Iran. Okay, yeah. Trump, Trump had them close to bankrupted, so you didn't hear yep. from them. Yep. Biden never even mentioned Iran in his speech on Tuesday. I mean, the, you have a chance now to get a bipartisan group together. Uh, Richard Blumenthal wants to do it, believe it or not. Uh, with Joni Ernst and others, you know, that's what they need to do. They come back this week, reimpose maximum sanctions on Iran. Well, well, and by the way, another element of this is who is buying all that uh, sanctioned oil from Iran uh, and also from Russia? It's China, who Mm -hmm. as a result is basically acquiring energy cheaper than almost anybody else in the world, including us right now. So this is sort of a double-barreled insult uh, to the American people, that we are not only allowing Iran to raise a lot of money this way, but it's also helping China. All right, take a quick break. Liz Peak, Fox News, vindicated columnist Steve Moore, committed to unleash prosperity, and his WABC radio show, More Money. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Larry Kudlow on 77 WABC. From Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. We're talking money and politics with Liz Peek, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist, Steve Moore, Freedom Works, Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline, and the WABC radio host for more money. Uh, Steve Moore, why can't you, uh, Jim Jordan become speaker? 
He's got, he needs 50 votes, something. Why can't he get there? You know, I love Jim Jordan. I think he would be an excellent speaker. He's, uh, he's, he's outstanding. He's a great congressman. He's pro-growth. He is uh, fiscally conservative. I think he's got the toughness to do the job. I was never in favor of getting rid of McCarthy in the first place. By the way, I think mm-hmm. Scalise would have been a good uh, speaker as well. Um, mm-hmm. I, I just hope it is, Jordan. I, I mean, I'm so angry <laughs> at these House Republicans that they can't act, get their act together. I mean, I wrote in the hotline the other day, look, if they can't choose a speaker, they don't deserve to be in the majority. This is just mm-hmm. craziness, especially at a time of crisis. They have to get this resolved Monday. We have to get – I hope it will be Jim Jordan um, and uh, – this is taking way too long at a time when there's a real crisis in America, both on the budget and what's happening abroad. Uh, I don't know how you two feel about it, but this is just disgraceful. They can't they can't get 218 votes for anyone. I think he's going to win. I'm going to buy him a jacket. <laughs> I'm going to buy him a nice jacket. Charlie Hurt said we could get him a secondhand jacket. But the thing is, Liz, you know, Jim Jordan's Hakeem Jeffries' worst nightmare. I mean, Jim Jordan founded the Freedom Caucus. Yeah. He's very conservative. He was a champion NCAA college wrestler. He doesn't let go. I mean, I think it's ironic that he would be the toughest. I mean, I didn't want to get rid of McCarthy. I like McCarthy. I also like Steve Scalise. But I also like Jim Jordan. He's an old friend, a strong conservative um, Steve is right. They've got to make their move on Monday. The Senate comes back, and uh, they've got work to do on Israel and budgets and all kinds of things. I mean, w- why not just get it done? Yeah, and, and I hope that they will. I mean, the uh, there is absolutely no excuse for not voting for Jim Jordan. He's been in Congress a long time. He's a leader. He's been a very effective uh, head of the Judiciary Committee. Uh, so I don't really know where any opposition would come from except from moderates. And I think they have to just look. The fact that Jim Jordan signed off on Steve Scalise suggests that he understands the issue of governance. He understands the need to bring the, uh, the, the caucus together. Surely he will. I, unfortunately, I read that they won't even address this issue until at least Monday night at the earliest. I think it's time for them to have, display some sense of urgency. As Steve says, we are at war. We are at war, at least via proxy. Uh, and this is really not a time to be messing around with personality divisions. And that's kind of what it's come down to. So, And, and by the way, I, I read a really stunning article this morning about bond markets and uh, funding our, our national debt and so forth. If, if people aren't paying attention to this, Larry, this yeah. debt issue and deficit issue is not minor. This is huge. And at some point, you know, there are a lot of people who just think we're never going to solve this problem and that we have really big, big financial problems ahead as interest rates keep going up. And it's hard to argue with that. So, you know, Republicans have to take, uh, you know, hold of Congress. They have to push aggressive spending cuts and show the American people that they know what they're doing. You know, Steve, I can't wait to see Jim Jordan in the Oval Office negotiating <laughs> with Joe Biden. I mean, what a treat that would be. Jim Jordan, Joe Biden. It's Biden's worst nightmare. That's one yeah, of the he, things that I really like about this. Me too. He's a fighter. He's a wrestler. Did you know that, yes. Larry? He's a wrestler. <laughs> ever, Wrestlers know how to see, fight. You ever see a college wrestling match? They, they don't give up. 
<laughs> they don't, they don't give, give up. up. I mean, it's and really so, interesting. Right. And uh, look, there's what worries me is that there's now talk, uh, chatter about some of the moderates possibly making a deal with uh, the Democrats and having some kind of weird coalition governance of the House, which would be a horrific idea. Uh, and so we that all the more reason to get this done. And uh, Liz is so right that, you know, what's happening right now with the fiscal situation in Washington, people really should be paying attention. This is as serious as a heart attack. Out of control government spending with interest payments now becoming the fastest component of the debt. And those higher interest rates are affecting everything. I mean, mortgages now, yeah, I was just reading the other day, doing these calculations that, you know, you, you buy a median uh, value home in America today, your mortgage payments each month are going to be at about $2,000 higher a month, Larry, than they were under Trump because mm-hmm. of these higher interest rates. Mm-hmm. Well, just get moving. What do you think you'll do first, uh, Steve? What's the highest priority? I mean, they'll have they a supplement. they a budget. Yeah, they got to finish the budget off, right? That's and they got to get the appropriations bills. One thing I like that's, uh, that that uh, both Scalise and Jordan have been talking about is some penalty. They, they've got to basically say, if, "Look, if you don't get the appropriations bills done, nothing else gets done." You know, by a certain date, then nothing else gets done until these appropriations bills get done. If this has been uh, the the pattern now for twenty years, where we don't we haven't even been passing real budgets, Larry. Mm. Well, he'll stop. He will try. He will try to stop an omnibus bill. But you know, he's been he's been a good citizen. I mean, he's not a crazy person. He's done a good job on the Judiciary Committee. Great and job. He voted for the debt bill. He voted for the CR. Okay, not all conservatives did, obviously. So, Liz, you know, I think Jim Jordan be a good citizen, and it's his time. That's just yeah. the way it works out. That's my point, and, and I, th- I think he has a sense of what's necessary right now. And, and by the way, I, I never thought Steve Scalise was going to make it across the threshold. If they didn't like McCarthy, they weren't going to like Steve Scalise. I mean, mm. these conservatives are pretty dug in, uh, and I have to say, as much as I am furious about what's going on, because, oh, my gosh, Republicans have such an opportunity to have a blowout election in 2024. We do not. Nikki Haley said something very smart, which is you have chaos from the Democrat Party on the border, on inflation, on so many things. We de- we can't fight chaos with Republican chaos. And I think that's All totally right. right, right? All right. Well, let's get moving. Save America. That's yeah. what we're going to have to do. Thank you yeah. ever so much, Liz Peek and Steve Moore. Folks, I'm Kudlow. Great pleasure today. We will be back next weekend. This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.